So how do major national appeals affect the everyday fundraising for other nonprofits? We're going to find out today on this first day from the Fundraising School. I'm Bill Stanjukavich, joined today by my colleague on the faculty and research team of the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, Dr. Mark Otoni Wilhelm. And Dr. Otoni Wilhelm is a longtime member of our faculty going and digging into the primary research for findings that we can apply to our everyday fundraising. And, you know, Mark, you know, people wonder about these, you know, natural disasters and we hear about these large national appeals. And of course, we're all sympathetic. We want to see recovery uh, happen as quickly as possible. But it's also very understandable for other nonprofits to think, hmm, is this going to affect my annual campaign? What does your research find? Well, uh, thanks, Bill, for inviting me yes. and for having a conversation about this work. Um, so this work is uh, I've done jointly with Kimberly Scharf at the University of Birmingham and okay. Sarah Smith at the University of Bristol in the UK. And what we found is that major fundraising interventions, so in the case we're looking at, it's primarily uh, in response to international disasters, okay. uh, succeed by raising truly new funds. Uh, so in other words, the fundraising fundraising interventions do not shift donations away from other charities. So there's no charity shift. Okay. Um, nor does the fundraising intervention shift funds to the disaster relief charities from their own future donations that they would have gotten anyway. So this is entirely new money. This is entirely new money. Okay. But there is one puzzle that emerged okay. that calls us to think pretty hard about what's going on. Yeah. And is that, remember those other charities I talk about that over the course of the fundraising appeal by the disaster charities, they don't suffer. Okay. But they do see a time shift in the pattern of their donations. Help so, us understand time shift. Yeah, so what happens is, so the other charities, so these are domestic uh, charities in the UK mm -hmm. that are not doing international relief. At the time where the disaster appeal launches, and of course the disaster relief charities see a big bump in their sure. donations, say in that first four to uh, four weeks of, mm -hmm. of response. The other charities also see a smaller percentage bump, but still notable, okay. increase in the amount of donations that they receive. But then what happens in the subsequent weeks, say in weeks five through, through 15, they see less than they normally would see. Mm. And so that up and then down is a wash. And that's what I meant when I said earlier that the um, disaster appeal generates truly new money on over that entire period. But there is that interesting time shift uh, that gave us a lot to think about, time shift for the other charities. So it sounds promising that when there are these natural disasters, people do respond philanthropically. They, they respond with new dollars uh, in ways that help immediately respond to that natural disaster. And it sounds like people are in a giving habit, philanthropic mood. They then maybe give to some other nonprofits uh, at that same time, but then their giving to those nonprofits goes down. But if I'm understanding you correctly, the net for the non-disaster relief charities kind of balances out. It's, it's still wash. the same at the end of the day, meaning the natural disaster at the end of the day did not harm my fundraising. There was just this timing of when the dollars arrived. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. And so uh, why is that? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what, what did you and your colleagues find in terms of you know, donor motivation and behavior? So uh, the, the first thing we thought of, it's some kind of transaction cost story. In other mm. words, um, maybe I should say something about the donors that we're looking at. Okay. Just, so in the UK, there's uh, an organization called the Charities Aid Foundation. And of the many things they do, they offer um, uh, accounts like checking accounts that donors can use uh, 
uh, to deposit money in these accounts. And once the money goes into these accounts, um, it can only be used to then write checks to uh, registered charities, much like our donor advised funds. Okay. Only in the UK, you can open one of these accounts with uh, a hundred pounds starting balance. So it so doesn't have to be a big amount of money. Mm -hmm. So uh, so what we're looking at is, is, is a large group of donors. So we looked at um, over 100,000 donors from and followed their donation um, uh, activity from July of 2009 to June of 2014. And we could, of course, we don't know who the people are, okay. but we could see the, the, every donation that was made and when it was made. Mm -hmm. So I mention all this because what we're doing is we're looking at people who, um, they have an interest in charitable giving. Okay. Uh, so they've set up these accounts, mm -hmm. and so uh, they're, al they're already interested in charitable giving. And a little giving. more maybe strategic in their giving, a little more intentional about their giving. They set up these they've separate accounts. they certainly planned for it, yeah. right? And so, uh, so with that backdrop, the thing we thought of, okay, I'm one of these account holders, and I'm uh, gonna respond to the disaster appeal, and while I've got my account open, I'll just go ahead and you know, make the donations to the other charities I was gonna make, a few weeks down the road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it turns out we found evidence um, that is just inconsistent with that. Mm. So in other words, the bunching of donations giving to multiple charities on the same day was actually less during the disaster mm. uh, response period than at normal times. And the average amounts given um, uh, to, the, to the other charities um, were higher than they usually were. Hmm. So if it was just a transaction cost story, you figure you'd be s moving the same amount forward in time, not changing the amount in any way. Okay. And then it, um, the, 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 this, this uh, time shift in the other mm -hmm, charities mm -hmm. that I've described played out differently for different kinds of charities. Okay. So in particular, health charities were the most affected. Hmm. And uh, well, if it was just transaction cost, we wouldn't expect that pattern at all. So we, we ruled out transactions cost as an explanation, just sort of time saving. Uh, another possibility might be that the other charities ramped up their own fundraising at the same time. Okay. Well, that would have affected all the donors with these accounts. Right. Whereas this time shifting I'm describing just affected the donors who responded to the disaster repeals, not everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, so a, a final possibility is that the disaster appeal reminded everybody yeah. to give to charity. Now's the time. But again, if it was a general uh, universal reminder to all people, well, that would have played out among the donors to the disaster appeal and the non-donors to the disaster appeal equally, but it didn't. So we were left with, I think, something your intuition pointed to right in, in an earlier question, and that is, it generated what we call a halo effect, and that is yeah. among the people who were motivated to respond to the disaster appeal, a feeling of uh, the internal benefits one gets from donating to charity that rose in them, and they went ahead and um, made those donations to the other charities at the same time. And I would speculate as I listen to you here, it's somewhat intuitive that maybe the health subsector is affected most because during a natural disaster, 
I'm thinking about the health and well-being of my neighbors, whether they're in the next community over on the other side of the world, and then therefore I made that health gift, I'm not going to make it later. Is that a fair speculation? I think that's a fair speculation. Yeah. Uh, now there's a little bit of bad news for the health charities. That's okay. one sector that did suffer a small decrease, oh. so there was a little bit of shifting away from health. But overall, if you look at all the other, all, all charities besides the international relief, health, uh, public society benefit, environmental, that, that was a wash. So Mark, as you would summarize, uh, what should fundraisers be thinking as they're doing their planning, especially when they hear this you know, tragic news about a natural disaster, whether it hits the United States or anywhere across the world, and I'm not with one of the disaster relief fundraising right. agencies. What does that mean for me as I'm doing my fundraising planning? I, I think it means that um, you don't have to think of yourself as, in, with these major appeals, mm -hmm. you don't have to think of yourself as in competition with people mm -hmm. who are fundraising for other charities. And, and you can take on a more collaborative approach and honor the fact that there is this emergency appeal right now, but not to do anything that would suggest to people you're approaching that, that there's a competition going on. Because in terms of these major um, fundraising appeals, the evidence that we found, is just, it's just not there. That is great advice, and I will say candidly, reassuring advice as we're doing our fundraising planning, especially when we hear about these large natural disasters that are occurring around the world. And you can see from uh, Mark's research here, the, the level and the depth that we go to, to help all of us understand charitable giving and donor behavior and donor motivation in ways that can be applied to today's fundraising and your fundraising planning for tomorrow. That research is available for free on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. Look at the research tab and Mark's research and that of his colleagues on the faculty and the research team will be available for you there. And then we translate that research into application for you in our 17 public courses. We're found under the professional development tab where you also learn about our custom training that can come to your nonprofit, your community, anywhere around the world. You'll also see information about our webinars, our leadership roundtable, and of course, these weekly podcasts. I'm Bill Stanjakovich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the Fundraising School. Mm -hmm.